Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Back at the beginning of the year, I was looking for a new housemate, as my current housemate was moving out and getting married. And at the time, I was meeting up with Celeste, who's not there, and uh, in the hope that she would want to live with me. And uh, I remember we were going out for a meal one night, and I think it was in like West Didsbury or something. And we were just chatting about life and getting to know each other. And then, like, the topic of conflict came up. And I think in my head, I got like, well, I got a bit excited. And in my head, what I wanted to say was. Something along the lines of like, oh, I love the art of healthy confrontation because it brings resolution and growth. And what I actually blurted out in this nice little West Didsbury restaurant was, I love conflict, uh, which I feel like when you're looking for a new housemate is a big red flag. Um, <laughs> and um, nevertheless, thank the Lord, she agreed to live with me. So it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, I am passionate about healthy confrontation, difficult conversations that end in resolution or at least progression as well. And conflict is part of our humanity. We see it on the, small, the larger scales between companies and countries, football teams. And then we see it on the smaller scale in our own personal lives between colleagues, friends, our own family. And I think when we look at it at the bigger scale, we can easily think, oh, like conflict is just a battle between good and evil, or the big dog and the small guy. But often when we see conflict in our personal lives and the conflict that is potentially most painful, it's between us and someone we care about, someone we love. If we just look at the Bible, we see there's conflict between Jacob and Esau, two brothers, Mary and Martha, sisters, even Jesus and Judas. And over the past month, we've been looking at the pursuit of wholeness and how we and the world around us is fractured and how we become whole through Jesus and what he's done. So today we're going to be looking at healthy conflict in the pursuit of wholeness. So I think at some point for all of us when we were like growing up, we were almost trained that we couldn't speak the truth to someone and be kind at the same time. I spent a lot of time with my nephews and niece over the past week. And let me tell you one thing, if you want to be humbled, just spend time with like some mouthy five-year-olds because they will definitely humble you. And um, I was eating my breakfast this week, and I came down in my pyjamas, like no makeup on, hair pushed back, and my nephew Ezra, who was five, just turned to me and went, Auntie B, what are all those red spots on your face? (laughs) And then later on in that day, he was hugging my mum, and he said, Grandma, your breath stinks, you should go wash your teeth. And um, both times, the rest of my family were all like, Ezra, you can't say that. Like, no, we we don't say things like that. And I think it might be like a bit of a cultural British thing, but somewhere along the lines of our childhood, we were unintentionally taught that we had to choose between being kind to someone or being honest. And you were either the friend who was a lot of fun and never confronted anything, or you were labelled the blunt one. You couldn't be both. And um, this, this has caused us to separate caring for someone from confronting them, implying that we couldn't possibly achieve both elements. And I think it's caused us to approach conflict as a bit of a taboo subject as well. But actually, to have healthy and robust friendships, marriages, work relationships, we need to learn how to have those types of conversations and to do them well. So when there's strong differences in opinions, when there's big emotions and the stakes feel quite high, 
doing these conversations well can be like a lifeline. So where do we start? <clears throat> the key to healthy conflict starts with the heart. So if you turn to Matthew 12, verse 33, we see it says, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That phrase, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, I can't be the only one here who, when they come across some kind of argument or situation, when you feel something coming to a head, you begin to map out and kind of plan your side of the argument. You come up with sly comebacks that you reckon the other party might, you know, you might be able to corner them into not being able to respond to that comeback. I'm laughing because I've done it and it's awful. Um, and um, yeah, you come to like the realization, like you hope that they'll come to the realization that you are right and they are wrong. And we can approach the situation with the mentality of how can I come out on top? How can I, what can I come up with to win this? But actually what Jesus is saying here is that this doesn't start with our mouths or our words, but long before that with our hearts. If you imagine a stream and it's, it's quite boggy and there's lots of weeds, mud and dirt within the flow of the stream, if you were trying to start clearing it up, you'd be doing a futile job because the issue with the bog and the dirt isn't during the stream, it's at the root. So this is the same with our hearts and our words. A little while back, I was living in Cumbria and I went to um, a baptism service up there and the church I was attending, they were like, why do it in a perfectly safe swimming pool? Let's baptise these people in our city river. That's brown, uh, which should have been the like, initial, let's not do that. Um, and so three guys, they got baptised. It was really great. It was a great day, as baptisms always are. If you're wanting to get baptised, we're doing baptisms next month, so that was a little plug. Um, and a couple of days after the baptisms, we found out that all three people who had been dunked were actually down with D&V, because it turns out that at higher up in the river that ran through the city, there was a dead sheep. And um, basically, it had been polluting and infecting everything downstream. And it resulted in three poor souls, newly baptised, glued to their toilets for two weeks. Uh, <laughs> so there was a problem upstream at the source. How often in arguments do we just charge right in, hot in the moment, with all our fresh evidence of what the other party has done wrong, and we haven't even paused a moment to think about where our heart is at, what is going on within us? And James reinforces this when he's speaking to the church. In James 4, verse 1, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James here seems far more concerned about what's going on within us, in our hearts, than what the quarrels or fights are actually about, than who is right or who is wrong. And I was speaking to a friend recently about this, about how we can get wrapped up in who's right or who's wrong in the situation, or what is fundamentally right or wrong. But actually, our emphasis should be on how our hearts are approaching the situation. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. If we go into confrontation with the mindset of how can I win this, it's mostly likely that it's not going to end well. We need to prepare our hearts to be genuinely for the person. It will then affect the way that we communicate what happens downstream. 
If I just get you to think back to the last argument you had, maybe a friend said a comment that you found was insensitive, or your housemate is continuously leaving dirty dishes out for weeks on end, or maybe your wife or husband made an interesting comment about the in-laws. Where was your heart in that argument? Were you ultimately for the other person? We are called to love one another with a love that does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no records of wrongs, and doesn't delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Before we go into it, we need to get our hearts ready to be for the person, to love them, and to seek resolution through the confrontation. Then secondly, healthy conflict puts death to pride. Matthew 23 verse 12 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You might be able to relate to what I said earlier in that we can approach conflict as I'm right and they're wrong. And this can cause us to sit there in our unrest, waiting for the other party to come and make the first move. We don't want to place ourselves in a vulnerable place and give up our leverage maybe in the relationship. We'd rather sit at war within ourselves, as James said, than surrender our pride. The theologian John Bloom says, Pride is the enemy inside us that speaks to us like a friend. Its counsel sounds so much like self-protection, preservation and promotion that we're often blinded to the fact that it's destroying us and others. It rises in great indignation. Sorry, it rises in great indignation as a prosecuting attorney when others' pride damages us. But it minimizes, qualifies, excuses, rationalizes, and blame shifts our behaviour when we damage others. We can be easily deceived into believing that our pride wants to save us when really it's our internal Judas betraying us with a kiss. Again, as it says in Matthew, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Throughout the Bible, we are instructed to humble ourselves, recognising that when we acknowledge our pride, when we acknowledge in that low place, we realise how weak and selfish we are, what we've done wrong, our responsibility in the dispute, that's where God gives extra grace. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4, verse 6. So we should approach it with, what is my fault here? Where am I at fault? What am I responsible for? Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 3, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Start with yourself. Approach with, what have I misunderstood here? Have I been insensitive or maybe oversensitive? Have I had unrealistic expectations? What are my blind spots? God is for us and not against us, and he wants us to notice the planks in our eyes so that we can mature in our faith. And ultimately, as this verse says here, we can help those around us as well. So we must start with the heart, stamp out pride, Take ownership of what part we have played and then initiate. Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Our Father is the ultimate peacemaker, and we take on his likeness when we make peace. As Christians, we want to reflect the character of our Father, and being peacemakers is part of our identity as children of God. 
So some practical elements to go from here. There is power in initiating. When you initiate, you set the time and the tone. In the message translation of Proverbs 25, verse 11, it says, The right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece piece of jewellery, and a wise friend's timely reprimand is like a gold ring slipped on your finger. Which implies it's possible to have the wrong words at the wrong time, possibly the right words, but at the wrong time, and also the wrong words, but at the right time. I had to read that carefully. Um, Timing, it's a big thing. Often these types of disputes can happen off the cuff in the heat of the moment, but from what I've learned is the healthiest ones happen when they are planned, when they're on neutral ground, like in a location, and in some cases when there's a mediator present as well. So a couple of years ago, um, just to give a personal account, there was a lot of unrest between me and my brother, and that had been built up over the course of a year or so. And again, being British, we were just sweeping it under the carpet as opposed to dealing with it. And it was a trickle of small things that built up. And this week I was staying in a room with an attic room with a Velux window. And whoever grew up in an attic room with a Velux window, I did not understand your pain until this week. Um, because we were having a lot of storms during the night. And like the first couple of raindrops that would hit, they were quiet and gentle, and you could kind of drift in and out of sleep during it. But then as the storm would get heavier and the droplets got heavier and heavier, it would echo throughout the room like I was sleeping in some tent made of glass or something. And it would just, every like raindrop felt like it was drumming through my soul. Um, And I couldn't sleep. And it was just, you know, you couldn't sleep through it. There was no rest whatsoever. And it can be like this with unchecked conflict. And this is definitely what I went through with my brother. We left a lot unchecked for a long time until it was too loud and it erupted. It was unavoidable. You couldn't ignore it or sleep through it. It needed to be addressed. So we addressed it. And so for smaller conflicts, this may seem like a bit of an extreme thing. But for bigger ones, I would highly recommend what we did. He lives around about an hour away. And um, we organised to meet up in a park and talk through everything. And actually, I listened to a podcast on handling... This is so millennial, but I listened to a podcast. And um, uh, Handling Conflict Well by Andy Croft and Mike Pilacci beforehand. And I've actually taken some pointers from that podcast into this preach. So go and listen to it. It's brilliant. Um, And I actually sent this podcast to my brother beforehand. And I was like, let's do this well. You know, like, listen to this podcast. And, um, yeah, we sat down. We talked things through. We both cried on a bench in a random park in Bolton. um, And we resolved some of the things that had been bothering both of us. Timing worked really well here. We didn't try and discuss these issues when we were in the heat of an argument or at a family event or Christmas, but we waited, we met on neutral ground, both knowing what we were meeting to speak about. So yeah, timing, one of the practical points, choose it wisely. Then the other is tone. Now I think as the human race, we can be incredibly perceptive in terms of the tone in which others speak to us, but then completely tone deaf in the way that we speak to others or how we hear our voices played back. I think we can be out of sync sometimes in how we think we're coming across with actually how we are really coming across. And it's definitely something I'm still working on. And um, Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So we're at the crux of how can we be honest while also being kind? Because there are multiple ways in which we can be honest. There's being honest in a way that is intentional to wound the other person. 
There's being honest in a thoughtless way and just disregarding how it may be received by the other person. And then there's being honest in a way that is soft and sets the person up for receiving what you have to say. So the way in the tone matters. With a lot of conflict, we can often have a narrative going on in our heads, and that narrative is fueled by the actions and the words of the other party, but is also fueled by our own emotions and perceptions that we can't always trust. So we begin to tell a story in our minds that isn't necessarily true. This is this has happened because they don't respect me. They acted that way because they don't love me anymore. This has happened because they don't value me. So it may or may not work for you, but the tool I used in this scenario with my brother is to clearly and specifically outline the problem and then continue on with the line. And the story I'm telling myself is, you don't love me anymore, you don't value me, I'm not important, you know, etc. Fill in with your issue. (laughs) And uh, in my experience, it bypasses the attack on the individual. It draws the person into our heart and shows them our vulnerability in the situation. So timing and tone play a large part. Because as I'm sure we all know, confrontation isn't easy. It's humbling. And that afternoon in the park wasn't a fix-all for my relationship, but it was a progress towards peace and a progress towards wholeness. So for my last point, look to Jesus. Jesus says in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We are instructed to love as Jesus loves and forgive as God forgives. It's quite a big task. But his love for us is so incomprehensible that while we were still sinners, while we were still actively fighting against him, he sent his own son to die for us, to save us from the greatest conflict of our lives, our sin against God. Jesus didn't shy away from conflict. He took it straight on. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Jesus' life was always projected to end with conflict at the cross. He endured the cross for the joy that he knew was coming. He endured judgment, torture, shame, hate and death for the joy that was set before him, for the joy of knowing you and being reunited with you. We all have, like sheep, fallen astray and gone our own way, but like the prodigal son, when we return home, there is grace. Where there is conflict, there is room for grace. The grace that God gives, it isn't fair, it isn't what we deserve, it is far, far greater. The grace that we then give to others isn't from our own warehouse, isn't mustered up from our own resources, but it flows down from the amazing grace we've received ourselves.